Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, Brad Barons. Over to you, Brad. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream connecting the digital advertising ecosystem. My name is Brad Behrens. I'm the Editor-in-Chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Thank you so much for sharing your afternoon with us. It is Tuesday, April 21st, and I am delighted that our guests today are our own CEO, Randall Rothenberg, and Martin Sorrell, who is the Executive Chairman of S4 Capital, former CEO and creator of WPP. Uh, and uh, they're going to have a spirited conversation in just one moment. While we are bringing uh, Randall and Martin onto the stream, let me tell you about how to post questions, which is on Twitter. You can go to Twitter, please, uh, and use that hashtag, IAB there, all caps, one word. Once again, IAB there, all caps, one word is the hashtag to use on Twitter to post a question. Um, uh, uh, please bring uh, Randall and Sir Martin onto the stream now, uh, gang, while, uh, while you're posting questions, our producers will be uh, checking them and feeding them into uh, our two uh, uh, folks in dialogue. So we're, we have Martin, we're waiting for Randall. Let's, uh, we're almost there. Um, Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, pleasure. You're, I, you're, you're, I, I envy you in Oregon. So, well, thank you. And you, uh, and where in London are you? Right in the middle of London, right, right in the middle near Belgrave Square. If you know where that gotcha. is. I do. I used to live in Primrose Hill uh, many oh, yeah, years ago. So, so I used to live in Hampstead Garden suburb, the ghetto, as I call it. <laughs> well, I think the real ghetto would be uh, a little closer to Camden Town, but but I do understand what you're saying. So, well, we're, Randy's having some technical trouble, so um, why don't, while we're waiting, oh, no, here he is. All right. Randy, well, thank you. Welcome to both of you to Ivy there. I'm going to get out of your way. Have a terrific conversation, and thank you. Thank, thanks very much. Thank thanks, you. Brad. Martin, welcome. Hi. Welcome to IEB there. Where where are you, first of all? I'm in London. I was saying to Brad, I'm in the middle of London near Belgrave Square in, in my house. And I and the weather here is sensational. I, I'm sure it's because there are fewer planes in the sky. And we have clear blue skies, the temperature about 70 degrees. It's uh, perfect. The rest of the week is going to be even warmer. So I get a chance to sit out in a, a small garden and a small terrace. It's quite good fun. That's nice. And I'm more, I'm much more efficient now, Randy, than uh, I, I've ever been. I, I've less breakfast, less lunches, less dinners, less travel, less need, needless travel. We're all thinking about how much less travel we'll do, at least in the short to medium term. I think that probably will be the consumer habit. Whether that stays the course or not, we'll see in time. But uh, I think my my personal sort of calendar and habits are going to change quite significantly as a result of this uh, chastening experience, because it is tough at a human level, hugely tough at a human level. Well, what did, I wanted to ask, ask you that. I mean, I've known you, uh, I was just counting it up. I've known you for 35 years, so. Uh, My God, that, yeah. that, that dates us. We're, a, we're, we're, both, we're both vulnerable on that basis. We're, yes. in the, we're on the scrap heap. The two of us. Uh, something to that effect, but but for uh, at least for the time being, we're we're both employed. You look better and healthier <laughs> and more kind of you know vibrant than I've been in all those thirty five years. But let me ask you, just just following up, you you are one of the and perhaps the last statesman 
in the advertising business. I think I got quoted once in Fortune calling you that. Um, you've seen a lot, uh, not just from the advertising world, but from a business leadership standpoint, and also a public and public policy standpoint. The first and most obvious question is, there's been a near shutdown of the global consumer economy. Yeah. Uh, supply chains are disrupted for right. God knows how long. Physical retailing is virtually non-existent. Um, right. The knock-on effect for media, for agencies, for everyone downstream in the, um, uh, in the consumer economy is profound. From your experience, how do you see us emerging from this? Well, I mean, you, I think the simple answer or immediate response is we've had no experience of this nature. So I was born uh, on 14th of February, 1945. And my little friend here is a, a present from uh, Wesley Tahar and Victor Napu, the two principals of Media Monks. It's our sort of bronze monk, but that's my 75th birthday. But sitting behind me, which you can't see, is a uh, front cover from the Daily, it was the Daily Mirror, actually, 14th of February, 1945. So I was just born at the end of the Second World War. And um, the only real comparable experience, I am told, because I had just popped my head out of the womb at that time, uh, was, uh, was, was a wartime situation. We are in a wartime footing now. And there's no comparison to 2008 or the dot-com bubble bursting in 0102 or... 91, 92 recession, or the, you know, I'm old enough, you're probably old enough to remember the oil price sure. shudders of the 70s and 80s in the last millennium. So there's no comparison. This is, this is, I say, wartime footing. And um, it's a chastening experience. So it's very difficult, really, to legislate for this. I mean, I, I, I'm optimistic. Um, I, look, I think, goodness knows what you should do. But uh, I really do think we, when we communicate internally at S4, and we communicate every day in this crisis group that we've formed, the sort of top eight people in the company, and we communicate to the other 2,492, there's about 2,500 of us in 30 countries, we communicate on a regular basis. There, there are a couple of basic things. Firstly, we're calling it a, as it is. We're not varnishing the truth. I think I've seen with the hold codes, uh, and listen, I would plead guilty to this when I was trying to run WPP. I mean, you, you, you probably tried to put a varnish on it or uh, try and make uh, sugar coat the pill. Mm. Uh, we're not doing that. We're, we're calling it as it is. But at the same time, we're giving people a real reason for being and a vision about where we're going. And I think on the more, look, this is a terrible situation. There's a, to put it crudely, there's a Darwinian cold taking place mm -hmm. to some extent caused by government policies because, you know, here in the UK, there's a big controversy brewing, stimulated by an article in the Times and the Sunday Times that the government here was at sleep at the switch uh, is the implication of it. And I mentioned this before the article came out as a, a point of contention, you know, as to whether the herd immunity route, which is to build up immunity in the population by letting, putting it crudely, by letting a, a larger number of people perish, the older people like you and me, the expendables, if you like, 
uh, and that builds immunity and that's a way of dealing with it rather than doing a, an immediate lockdown. And of course, the UK government got caught between that. So there's a Darwinian cull taking place because of this process, uh, which applies to corporates too. I mean, corporates, we, we are going to see in Q2, we already have seen, the state aid is considerable, this fiscal stimulus is huge. I think it's $13 trillion in one way or another has been applied to the EU on its own. You know, the Japanese government announces $1 trillion in a day of stimulus. So this, we've seen in the US, $2 trillion. The numbers are, are colossal. Uh, you know, trillion dollars in here in the UK. Um, the fiscal stimulus is huge. Uh, and in the longer term, and that vision or that, it, it, I, I feel that we will get out of this, certainly in sec certain sectors of the economy, faster. So I think it will be V-shaped in certain sectors. And I generally feel that... Which, a, which ones? Which ones do you think? Um, well... Uh, because the word look, by I, analogy... If it, it, it could could actually be yeah. somewhat positive, because we came out of World War II, the the war that you were born at the tail end of, zooming, uh, because of all that that investment and then that unleashed energy. Do you see the same? Yes. Picture? Well, I, I I do see the same thing, and you use the phrase unleashed energy, which I think is really a good one, because I think there's a lot of pent up frustration, and there's a lot of determination that's building up. In a, in a financial sense, and also in a mental and physical sense. I think uh, particularly in a country like America, which is, you know, as the president is fond of saying, you know, is the foremost, still is the foremost economy in the world by, by a significant margin, maybe 22, $23 trillion plays 12 trillion or whatever it is. <clears throat> and obviously the American economy, and that energy will be put to good use in the recovery. As to which sectors, I mean, I think I look at it this way, Randy. Uh, consumers will, will, like you and I, are being cooped up. We've been spending more time online with, with media. We've been spending more time uh, on online shopping. We, if we have kids to educate, uh, we're educating them online. So consumers will be more au fait with what the IAB wrestles with all the time. Uh, the second level will be media owners. Uh, a number of media owners here, I mean, a bizarre example is the Jewish Chronicle here, established in 1867, suspended its paper version during C-19, mm -hmm. and has gone into li liquidation bankruptcy. Number of, you know, a number of newspapers and magazines suspended their physical versions. They will go into bankruptcy too, or their decline will be accelerated by this. Raising the question about linear TV, which is much more serious from a, a medium because newspapers have declined as a medium. When I started in this business, they were a third of all spend. They're probably right. now well under 10%. Yeah, uh, no, so it was well, well under, and it, was, it, it right. was like this. I mean, the curve looked like this. It was right. going on for a long time. And I, I wonder about this with, uh, with linear television. Already in the US, 20% of all television viewing is streaming services. So, yes, and I, uh, Bill Koenigsberg uh, did a session with me at CES, and he, he talked about, this is pre-C19, right. certain, about certain day part series being 45% down this year, which I, I thought was too strong. I thought there would be some degradation, but not, not, not significant degradation. So I, I think that's the second level. And the final level, which is the most important, 
is at the enterprise level, managers who were hesitant to disturb a reasonably good status quo. Before mm-hmm. C-19, their old production spat between Russia and Saudi, which has produced this disastrous result with the price of uh, crude. Uh, there, was the, there was the trade battle, the trade tiff between, or battle or war between China and the U.S., but, you know, things were okay. You could eke out 2 or 3 or 4%. Coca-Cola today just said consumption of Coca-Cola in the first 21 days of April was down 25%. Hmm. Uh, these are huge changes. So I think enterprise managers who were frightened to disturb a reasonably good status quo will now say, look, all bets are off. Q2 is going to be disastrous. Our numbers are bad. We might as well get over the, this disruption and this cost, get it out of the way, and transform more rapidly. So the message to our people is, look, it's going to be tough. Q2 is going to be tough. We have to batten down the hatches. We have to. We have a good balance sheet at S4, no debt. Uh, we're liquid. Uh, we'll still continue to expand, even in the teeth of this, on a small scale, but we don't want to prejudice our future. Let's get through Q2, Q3, and I think into Q4 we'll see a recovery from low levels and then a pickup in 2021. So I, I, look, you, it's difficult to be optimistic given the mayhem that's been caused at a human level and a commercial level. But I do feel, you know, to some extent, that we've over-egged this. Um, it's not that I agree that the, the cure is worse than the disease. Don't get me wrong. And one death is unacceptable. But because governments were unprepared, right? because, because we, you know, the irony here in the UK is in that Times article, they refer to the Singaporeans having put in their plan based on the UK pandemic plan of 2015 or 16, which the government here abandoned because of austerity. Mm. So the pandemic risk which everybody, not everybody, Bill Gates and many others had said is the biggest risk we face. And in fact, people here had told the government that's the biggest risk. That was either ignored because of austerity or bureaucracy or whatever. And this is the situation we're in. So we've overcompensated. And quite rightly, governments have overcompensated. Companies have overcompensated because we were totally unprepared. We don't have enough equipment here. I want to bore in on on, on some of this uh, because you constructed S4. You've been constructing S4, not for this moment, but for disruption. You saw the the global economy, uh, both macro economies and the micro economies within sectors being disrupted. You've put together a a company of companies uh, uh, designed for that. I'm wondering what you see. You, you know, IEV, we've been doing, as you've seen it, some groundbreaking work for a couple of years now on brand disruption. Um, yeah. Big brands got, got dragged unwillingly, uh, often by activist investors, Nelson Peltz at Procter & Gamble, Dan Loeb, yeah. Nestle, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. kind of dragged reluctantly into um, adaptation to disruption. Do you think that this, especially the shutdown of physical retail, will accelerate the Proctors and the Unilevers and the Nestle's uh, emergence into the world of e-commerce, brand disruption, um, 
larger portfolios of smaller brands, or do you still see them lagging behind? Well, I, I think undoubtedly would be my answer to it. I mean, for example, you know, you mentioned Procter and Unilever, and Procter's numbers Q1 were very strong. John Mola, the CFO, actually said on the, on the call, I'm going to double down. I, th I think he should have said double up uh, <laughs> on advertising spend uh, because Procter is doing so well, whether that's because of Nelson Peltz and his 1%. I mean, I think David Taylor has done an extre extremely good job considering, you know, N Nelson, I think actually is a very constructive uh, activist, but some people historically have not necessarily treated him in the way that I think he should be treated. Mm -hmm. And he, he does have, as he continually reminded me when I was at WPV, when I said activists were too short term, he would immediately, or one of his people would write me a note saying, Martin, I'm, I'm a long-term investor. And I think he's proven with Procter and with Mondelez. Yep. Uh, that's where, you know, new management has come in there and Mondelez is, is doing extremely well too. So, uh, you know, I, Dan Loeb, I think at Nestle has had a slightly lower profile, maybe because of the nature of Nestle and the fact that Mark Schneider has done an incredible job there. You know, yeah. he, he did a great job at Fresenius and he's done a tremendous job at Nestle. He's changed the portfolio. He's restructured the, the business. Uh, and I, you know, I've never seen Nestle really in, in such good condition, it's in super condition. So I think, um, I think you know those companies will accelerate their change. I mean, Mark Pritchard, on the day that we brought Firewood, which was you said we were a company of companies, we're not. We're one company. So just get that out of the way for a minute. Okay. Not like the whole case. This is a unitary company. It's our fourth basic principle. But on the day we brought Firewood into Media Monks, um, and. Uh, I remember Mark Pritchard was doing... Just to clarify that, I mean, because this is this is really important. So so it, it's more appropriate to look at, at uh, uh, Media Monks or Mighty Hives as divisions of one company rather than... Well, uh, uh, even, even going beyond that, because, I mean, you're right. We started off with, in 2018, in July, with Media Monks. December 2018, Mighty Hive. Content is now being built around Media Monks programmatic and data and analytics around Mighty Hive. We did six things in 2019 in content and, and absorbed them into Media Monks. We did three things around programmatic and data analytics around My Mighty Hive. We're now bringing Media Monks and Mighty Hive together. For example, we had our, our board meeting, at one of our board meetings yesterday, and we spent, you know, we were online virtual for about six hours. And the bulk of the meeting was interesting about how C19, this was one of the incidental benefits, has fused our content and programmatic and data and analytics offer far more uh, quickly than I thought possible. Because we've built, we're building a strategic layer that, that is enterprise driven between content and programmatic and data. Yeah. And then we're building three sort of verticals around enterprise offer around content, enterprise offer around media, and then an SMB, an independent agency model around media. And well, then underlying that is, is data and analytics. And that, capability. So it's coming together. Yeah. yeah it's coming together, coming together as, as one. But, you know, coming back to the clients, it's going to accelerate because Alan Joke, uh, tells the story that when he was running 
Unilever in China after the SARS epidemic, um, which was not a pandemic really, it was an epidemic. Uh, after that, they saw a massive change in Chinese consumer behavior mm-hmm. online. And you know, I think he believes, he said this publicly, that this is gonna drive. When you look at the results of L'Oreal, or you look at the results of LVMH, or let's take Nespresso with Starbucks at Nestle, I think 95% of their retail distribution has been shut down, to your point, in C19, and yet their, their volumes on e-commerce are growing in leaps and bounds. So what's happened is in this period, at the consumer level, at the media owner level, and at the enterprise level, the whole process of moving to digital, what IAB is looking at, been looking at for years, what we founded S4 18, 21 months ago on, um, and obviously I'm talking my own book, but I, I think it's gonna be accelerated to a degree. When we look back, we'll say it was it's unbelievable what impact this is at. This, yeah. to my mind, is gonna is gonna be huge. Now, I'll give another example. But it, uh, at the board meeting, yeah. But uh, what at the board meeting? Okay, yeah. yeah go, go ahead. Go, go ahead. At the board meeting yesterday, we were talking about property. So, we invest about sixty percent of our net revenues in people, our biggest investors. So, even for us, with four hundred million dollars of revenue, it's about a quarter of a billion dollars in people. The second biggest investment, probably about thirty-five, forty million dollars, is in property. We'd love to divert some of that thirty-five to forty to invest more in in people. People, and we're already, even you know, four or five weeks into this, terminating leases with WeWorks and elsewhere, as people are working at home, uh, because we will consolidate our, our our leases and our offices, and we will do without with less space for, for offices. People have been writing, you know, we communicate with everybody in the company. People have been writing to me saying, I don't spend time in the office. I spend time in the clients because we have embedded models. Right. Uh, we have uh, in-house models and we're spending a lot of time on client premises. So number one, number two, the single people in our organization. Remember average age of the 500 mighty hivers is about 25. The average age of the media, 2,000 monks is about about 33. Hmm. There's a lot of single people there. Not not so much the married with you know with two people uh, with you know income producing for the family or with kids. It, space is an issue often. I'm talking about saying a lot of the single people have written to me and said we don't want to come back to the office. We want to do more working from home. Yeah. And in a 24/7 environment where our people are not digital first they're digital natives they've been the only things that they come from google or yahoo or salesforce they don't come that some of them do come from the agencies but the bulk of them do not and they're digital only and working at home is not a not a problem they're used to doing it 24 7 and you know but there were horror stories here in london of uh, traditional creative agencies because they didn't know you know how to. You know they were running around with memory sticks. It it, it was it was a bizarre uh, transition for some. It's a class. And it's actually much more akin to the uh, the classic management consulting uh, model. I mean, when I went to Booz Allen, uh, one of the great shocks to the system was that 
the standard was you were out of the office four days a week. You were on the client site um, and you'd come back one day a week for, for team meetings. But that was it. You're at the client. That's the way it worked. Yeah, I think we're going to we'll see. So I think um, coming back to the clients, this will accelerate. And, and it's interesting you, you point to Procter and Nestle and, and the others. I think the activists have had some impact there. But, you know, actually, it's been a very positive impact because it's created more focus. But the, the other thing that will happen is that the big package goods companies, and, and we should talk, we talked about the package goods and maybe the retail and the pharma companies, we should mm -hmm. talk about the tech companies, because I think the tech companies are behaving differently. But th those companies are going to have coming out of C19, you know, pre C19, you know, you asked the big package goods companies, who's their competition? It wasn't uh, P&G and Unilever and Nestle and Mondelez, etc. It was the local competitors. Right. Now, I think the local competitors are going to find it tougher because one of the things that we've seen is this north-south divide. I mean, talking to people in India, as I have in Brazil over the last few days and weeks, it's quite clear they are extremely worried about the impact on C19 on their relative competitiveness. Right. I mean, some, some of the most successful clients that I've known in India are really deeply worried about this north-south divide. I mean, if it, it, as we go into uh, winter here, there are going to be concerns about whether uh, C19 will reassert itself. Uh, but, but and, and and, you know, in India, in, in India, it hasn't been as bad, Randy, because right. temperatures has been, have been higher and they have a respiratory flu vaccine, I think, as well, which has probably helped. But when temperatures drop, you know, they're worried about a, a resurgence. And that will drive a more of a divide. You know, the ghettos and, and favelas of Brazil are also an issue. So I'm, I'm a bit worried about, about that. But I think from a competitive point of view, Maybe the package goods companies are going to be in a pretty good position. So, but what uh, I'm with, with that smaller competition. Let me drive further down that path because one of the yeah. things that sustained um, the uh, the CPG giants over you know many decades was their control of shelf. Um, now there's yeah. you know with the concentration in retail. Um, that's been a dance between the WalMarts and the yeah uh, yeah. Still, they they owned the shelf. The virtual shelf is much larger. Um, and I'm wondering if the, uh, uh, the diminution of physical retail puts some of the smaller disruptors in a position to be even more disruptive than they have been to the giants. Well, I, I, I think it's a really interesting question. I mean, my own view, and there was an interesting article today about Groupon and Yelp being in trouble. Uh, being in trouble because small businesses were going down. Mm. So Yelp depended on hair salons and there's no hair salons. And uh, you know, everybody after this is going to have long hair um, <laughs> after four or five weeks of this, except you and me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Yelp and Groupon, and the article was one of breaking news, said you know, net result of this is Google, Facebook, et al., are going to get more powerful. That is yet another example. Uh, the, the power that the six platforms, and when I say the six platforms, I'm talking about Google, Facebook, Amazon, 
Tencent, Alibaba, and the one I put up there is TikTok. Mm -hmm. TikTok is the one to me with seven billion of ad spend cat that can compete with Amazon twenty, with Facebook's sixty-two last year and Google's one hundred and sixty, whatever it is, uh, out of a total of two fifty. I mean, good, TikTok to me is the one that's really making progress. The data that they have captured, to your point, puts them in this in this recession, in the C19 mayhem, puts them in an immensely powerful position, particularly when we remember that you know, Google is nixing third-party cookies right. in two years. Apple has already nixed it. Right. So third-party, I mean, I've already had clients say to me that they're extremely concerned that they will have to be forced back to the platforms who control the data anyway. So to your analogy, when, or to your, your story, when the internet came along, the brand manufacturers thought they would have a direct relationship with the consumers and Walmart, Tesco and Carrefour exerted that pressure through retail distribution would be removed. That did happen. But as the walls in the wall gardens have gone up even high, you know, 2016 because of privacy, brand safety, right. interference in elections, the walls in the wall gardens were put up even, even more. Now, with the third party cookies being nixed, it means that the first party data, and I'm not talking about, you know, it's not Epsilon, it's not Axiom, it's no, not even Merkle, it's no, not no, Cantor. Own, that's owned that, by the company. Yep. Own, own data becomes critical, plus the signals that you get from the platforms. Yeah. And, you know. Now, the, David Taylor. At Proctor uh, made a point, I think it was uh, uh, within the past six or eight months that they've been on a, a campaign and, and have acquired more than a billion uh, consumer IDs. So that's right. Typically, that day that we bought Firewood in, Mark Fritchard made a, made a presentation at the AMA where he talked about 1.3 billion consumer IDs, mm -hmm. uh, in-housing content, looking at content studios, looking at programmatic and, and everything. So the model where clients, and I think there's an eerie comparison to Brexit, mm -hmm. you know, where the voter took back control, marketeers are taking back control. Michael Nathanson wrote a, wrote a very good, as he always does, very good um, piece on internet advertising saying that he thought clients would be doing less in housing as a result of C-19. I disagree with that. I wrote yeah, to him and I said, I, I disagree. Yeah, it, all the data that we've been collecting says exactly the opposite. Yes, I think, I, and the pressure, it, it's to take back control for the reasons you just said. Mm -hmm. And the Proctor, the Proctor case study, if you like, is, a, is, is I think, the case study, which, which is, there's, uh, Mark Pritchard talks about 300 experiments inside Proctor. I talked to the consultants who, who do a lot of this experimentation within corporations. Really interesting the way they go about it. And it, it comes out of what we were talking about a little bit before. You know, they, these small competitors that, you know, Unilever, I remember buying that Korean uh, cosmetic face mask company, right. which Goldman, I think, and Bain had bought into. And then they doubled their investment in a year when, when Unilever bought into it. Or Unilever, you know, uh, in the shaving in the shaving with Dollar Shave Club. You know, they didn't do it to compete against Gillette. They did it because they wanted to see how 
you know, a, they could build a direct-to-consumer relationship, or Coca-Cola does Costa. Poland uh, yeah, uh, said when they acquired Dollar Shave Club, he was very explicit, saying, you know, we're not doing this because we want to uh, build our profile in men's grooming. This is a capabilities play. He was as clear as day as that that was the point. Yeah, so that's about, that's the battle. Just one thing I want to say about the tech clients, that they, they are different. Um, because they are digital only, uh, you know, at some point in time, they will face disruption and disintermediation like we all will, you know, at some point in time. Uh, because we all become, you know, analog in some sense as time creeps up. But, you know, the tech companies are much more resilient at the moment. I've noticed some switch of spending from H1 to H2, because uh, many of them committed large amounts of money to sporting events, you know, Euro, yeah. Olympics, uh, Premier League, etc. Uh, they've diverted money to purpose campaigns, which is the right thing, the material purpose campaigns, mm -hmm. not the airy-fairy stuff that we're seeing, which everyone, every campaign looks alike. Um, but they are, tech is much more resilient. The packaged goods companies are switching money to digital. It's an important point. I was speaking to the ex-CMO of a major packaged goods company this morning, and he said a very interesting thing. He said, you know, wh when these things happen, the CFO exerts a lot of influence and cuts spending. And then there's a sort of another phase where they start to spend money on brand, uh, getting in front, you know, equipment campaigns, PPE campaigns in this crisis, frontline worker support for the National Health Service or whatever it happens to be. But, but you, you don't want to be seen, he said, to take advantage of the, of the situation by, you know, in your face advertising. So you do the brown stuff lightly but you really go in hard on digital, which is the one-to-one, -one, coming back to your point, you know, about acceleration or question about acceleration. You do a lot of one-to-one -one because that's where, if you do personalization at scale now to people who are stuck at home in lockdowns, you, if you get it right, it yeah. can be immensely get it right productive. Yeah. Prices have gone down quite steeply. The CPMs, if you evaluate it on a CPM basis, it's very cheap. And if you evaluate it on a performance basis, it's very cheap and you can monitor it. And as he said this morning, you know, you can monitor it much more easily. So uh, coming back to the tech, what we see is a little bit of delay into H2, but mu much more maintenance of spending uh, with packaged goods, with retail, less so with pharma because C19 is in their space. But, uh, you know, in pharma, we're seeing significant expansion but I, I do think, um, by and large, there's a switch more and more to digital. And again, we're seeing acceleration. I'm, given, I'm being given the high sign uh, until we have to wrap. I would love to have you come back and continue this because one topic, we, there are many topics we didn't pick up on, uh, but one that I would love to get your insights on are the apparent conflict that we're now seeing between the need for big brands in particular, all brands, um, to become owners of data at scale. The conflict yeah. between that and public policies that seem to be putting obstacles in the way of that, like GDPR, like uh, like CCPA. So it would be a good topic for us to uh, to follow up on. No, and I'd love to. I mean, I, I, I mean, I just one liner on it. Our clients have no choice. Our clients have to build because if they don't, 
they're going to be ringed. You know, Amazon, what is Jeff Bezos' favorite uh, line? You know, Your margin, my opportunity. <laughs> it's one of his or, as the CMO, uh, if the CMO said to me this morning, uh, the ex-CMO said, you know, if you have a, a good business model, if you have a business model and Amazon doesn't copy it, it means you don't have a good one. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. That's good. Well, Mark, <laughs> here, in your honor, I wore my I wore my media monk. Oh, uh, your hoodie. hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> all, all for you. So, well, so here's my here's my little monk friend. Yeah. <laughs> all in the family. Thank you for joining us. I really thank you. Really Thanks, Randy. Appreciate Loved it. it. Thank you as always. And stay safe and stay healthy. You too. And best of the family. God bless you. See you soon. Okay. God bless. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks. You. Ciao. Bye bye. It's been great to have uh, Martin Sorrell here on IEB There. Uh, tomorrow on IEB There, we're very excited to welcome Dave Morgan, the CEO of Simul Media, to talk about advanced television and its growth and evolution in the world of coronavirus and beyond. IEB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced, as it always is, by Connor Healy, Joe Ounce, John Ward, Twafika Bohenuddin, and Haley Bloom. I'm Randall Rothenberg, the CEO of the IAB. Thank you for watching. Come back tomorrow and every day, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Because if it is 2 p.m. Eastern time on a weekday, you know it's time to IA be there. Thank you all.